This is the last Sunday of 2020. Can I get a hallelujah? Amen. All of us will be grateful to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. 2020 has been a year of struggle. It's been a year of anxiety. It's been a year of uncertainty. It's been a year of fear. It's been a year of loss. 2020 has been a year of riots, a year of disruption, a year of shaking. 2020 has been a year of political polarization, a year of economic uncertainty. It's been a year of unprecedented fires, a year of unprecedented hurricanes, a year of plagues. 2020 has been a year of sickness and a year of dying. This has been a year of God shaking our world and sifting his church, sifting the church, and in many ways, purifying the church. As I reflected on this, on 2020, a passage of scripture came to my mind, Psalm 126. I invite you to turn there with me now in your copy of God's word, Psalm 126. And I really want, God has gripped my heart with this word. And it's for me, but I think it's for us. It's for us as a community of faith. It's for us as a faith family. And so I want to share with you what God is showing me as I reflected on this past year and what it means for me, what it means for us. Psalm 126 is the passage of scripture that the Holy Spirit directed me to. Let me read it now. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nation said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would illuminate and empower your Holy Word, and you would edify your people, that you would drive this truth home into every circumstance, into every struggle, into every heartache. In Jesus' name, amen. We are called, in John chapter 17, which I've been, I've been studying John chapter 17 in my own personal time recently, and it's been light bulbs just going off <laughs> as, as the Lord has um, revealed things to me in this incredible chapter, which contains the longest prayer of Jesus by far in John chapter 17, but he challenges, he commissions his disciples in John chapter 17, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
And there's so much in that when it comes to incarnational Christianity, where God left heaven and stepped into the brokenness through his son. He entered into the valley of the shadow. He, he entered into the suffering and the sorrow. And that in the same way that God entered the world, his people are to engage with it. And so as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he tells them and he tells us that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think a big part of being in the world is empathy. A huge part of being in the world is to not be emotionally detached from it. And so when our world is suffering, when our world is grieving, Christians should be so connected to the world that we've been called to serve that we feel their pain. We are called to rejoice with those that rejoice and to weep with those that weep. That's Romans 12, 15. To mourn with those that mourn, to lament. Now is not a time for the church to host pep rallies. Wouldn't it be incredibly inappropriate for Christians to barge in on a funeral and to have a pep rally. And so there, our world around us, we get these daily reports of sickness and death. Uh, just in the last few days in the United States, they hit a grim milestone that one in every thousand Americans have died from COVID-19. And so, for us as a people of faith to, to be incarnational Christians where, where Jesus entered into the world. He wasn't born in a monastery on a mountaintop. He wasn't born in an ivory tower of theology. He was born in the valley, valley of the shadow of death. And he, ex, he experienced the full range of human emotion, fear, and joy. And we are to represent him as his ambassadors in this world. And I think now is a time for biblical lament. Lament is a biblical form of worship not often practiced by contemporary churches in North America. The hard truth, the uncomfortable truth is this, that sorrow holds much more potential for sanctification than celebration. We always want to celebrate but the most formative times in our faith journey aren't the mountaintops, they are the valleys. And those are times of lament. The Bible is full of this form of worship called lament. There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. There are psalms of lament. The gospel is always more relevant at funerals than at weddings. Celebration is a biblical form of worship, but we shouldn't have a pep rally at funerals. There are seasons for celebrating and seasons for sorrow. There are seasons of lament. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, a time to cry. There is a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. 
And so as the world around us is gripped in fear and uncertainty, we should not be spiritually detached. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 tells us, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your bodies. So Christians should have this supernatural sympathy that comes from the Holy Spirit. That we don't have to know the particular story, the particular struggle, but it's the Holy Spirit in us that responds to the suffering around us. The shortest verse in the Bible is also one of the most profound. John chapter 11. I'll, I'll read a few, a few verses here. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus entered in, Jesus attended a funeral and he didn't stand at a distance and critique their grief. He entered into their sorrow. Look, these are incredibly strong words in the language of the New Testament. He was, when he saw them weeping, he was deeply moved. He was deep. This is not pity. This is not hearing about something happening on the other side of the world and feeling sorry for those poor people in Africa or feeling sorry for those poor people in South America. Right? This is something that goes to the very core of who we are as Christians. The same Jesus that was deeply troubled at the sorrow and loss in John chapter 11, the same Jesus that responded with weeping is the Jesus that lives in me, the Jesus that lives in you. And he still wants to respond to the pain around us through me, through you. He entered into their sorrow. He felt their pain. He shared their grief. And notice the reaction of the crowd as they saw the emotional response of Jesus. See how he loved them. Look at that. The Jews said, see how he loved him. Exclamation point. Right? They, they saw his weeping as evidence of his affection. Churches need to do less marketing and more weeping, less advertising and more agonizing, less sermonizing and more sobbing, less gabbing and more grieving, less critiquing and more crying, less silliness and more sorrow, less talking and more tears, less production and more compassion. Perhaps the reason we aren't weeping Perhaps the reason we aren't reaping is because we aren't weeping. Those who sow in tears will reap 
enjoy. Perhaps the reason the church in North America isn't reaping very much is because we're sowing the wrong seed. The seed of the gospel must be watered by the tears of the saints before it can take root in the soil of people's hearts. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, we find another startling snapshot from the life of Jesus. Luke 19, 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over a city. So in John chapter 11, we see Jesus weeping over individuals, sharing the grief of individuals. And in Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus looking at a city and his heart being broken over this place. How many of us have wept over our communities? How many of us, whether we've realized it or not, have constructed spiritual gated communities where we only let certain kinds of people into the inner circle of our lives and we don't let the spiritual riffraff through the gates. We filter out the riffraff. And I think to myself in the city that I've been called to, you know, when we did the, um, for those that aren't from here, Winnipeg has a perimeter highway around it. And not long ago, we challenged our church to pray the perimeter. And I'm asking God to give me his heart for this place, for this city. And there are those listening from Lake Charles, Louisiana. There are those listening from towns in Arkansas. There are those listening from towns in Florida. And regardless of your specific address, we should have the same heart, the same heart for the souls that live around us. Not just the lives, but the souls. One of the worst things we can be when it comes to what's happening around us is indifferent. Indifference is a great obstacle to gospel impact. Indifference and its first cousin, cynicism. We have the mind of Christ, but we should also have the heart of Christ. Theology downloaded in our mind should soften our hearts. I want to be the kind of Christian that cries over my community, that weeps over my city. It is a supernatural sympathy. There is too much synthetic sympathy and not enough supernatural sympathy. Synthetic sympathy is, is man-made. It's, these contri it's contrived compassion where we show up and we deliver a meal and get a Instagram shot and then go back behind the gates. 
this is supernatural sympathy. I don't have to know the person to love them because God knows them and God is with me. They're created in the image of God. They are absolutely unique. I did a funeral last week. A friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, is a funeral director here in town. And she calls me. She calls me on occasion to do these funerals. And this one last week was an unclaimed body. And there are lots of those. Isn't it heartbreaking? Isn't it heartbreaking? Last week, I did a funeral for an unclaimed body. And we're gathered around this grave. And I say these words. And I speak, I speak his name, Thomas Hughes. Thomas was created in the image of God. Jesus died for Thomas. And I said these words over his grave that no one was there at the end of his life, but his life mattered because he was created in the image of God. There are people dying around us, especially now. When you hear the reports, especially in Winnipeg at least, but I know in the States it's this way as well. When you have people in long in, uh, in uh, senior living homes, right? And they're trapped in these places and they're dying alone. And this is happening in our communities. This is happening in our cities. I did another funeral two weeks ago for a stillborn infant. It was, it was the smallest coffin I'd ever seen. And the funeral director said, that they regularly get these kind of funerals. And I, I think to myself, God, I hope there's a Christian in this, in this person's life. God, I hope there is a, a re, I hope you have a representative in this living room. Because the, the, the grief and the sorrow and the anguish, the heartache, as, as I go to the grocery store and I look around as I'm picking up milk and eggs and butter. I think there are people around me that are struggling to survive. As I think of my neighbors and I don't know them yet, but I wonder what they're going through. And for us though, to have a sense of calling to a place that, that we were sent, we were sent to these communities to be dispensers of hope. That, that's what Christians do. Christians peddle hope. We're hope peddlers. But in order for that to happen, we cannot lob hope from a distance. It is best delivered in person. It's a supernatural sympathy. We don't cry on cue because we actually care. Why do we care? Not because we personally know every situation, not because the person deserves sympathy. We care because Christ cares and he expresses his care through every Christian. 
It's not contrived. It's not artificial. It's the spirit of Jesus filling our lives and overflowing through the, our eyes in the form of tears. Sometimes the best sermon is preached not through our lips, but through our eyes. There is an abundance of preaching in North America. Much of it is theologically sound. I want you to get this. There, there is literally a hundred thousand sermons given every week in North America. More than that, that's a conservative estimate, right? Uh, there's over 300,000 churches in North America. That's Catholic, Baptist, non-denominational. But let's say a third of those would fall into what we would consider solid biblical material. So I want you to think about this. There are a hundred thousand sermons being delivered and uploaded to websites and posted on the internet every single week. Think of the cumulative of that. Hundreds of thousands of biblical sermons that are being delivered in our, on our continent. And the question I have is that why is the seed of the word falling on such hard soil? Why aren't we reaping more of a harvest when so much seed is being sown? Perhaps the ground needs to be softened by tears so that it is more receptive to the seed. We must not be emotionally detached from the people we are called to share with. Many hunker in the bunker and pull up the drawbridge. And it's really at the end of the day, self-preservation, a defense mechanism to protect our lives from further disappointment and heartache. But the gospel is always best hand delivered. The gospel doesn't dwell in ivory towers of theology, but in the gutters. The gospel thrives in the gutters. The gospel thrives in the dumpsters. The gospel grows best in the garbage. Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. The gospel thrives among the poor. The gospel thrives among the oppressed. The gospel thrives among the persecuted. The gospel thrives among the addicts. The gospel thrives among the abused. The gospel thrives among the demonized. Is it any wonder, listen closely, is it any wonder we aren't reaping much of a harvest given that we're not planting in the right places? Some of the greatest moves of God in our day are happening in some of the poorest places on the planet. When Jesus told his disciples, look out at the fields, they are white unto harvest, he wasn't looking out at healthy, prosperous, stable people. He was looking out at sick people. He was looking out at oppressed people. He was looking out at demonized people. And he said, look, that is the field that is ready for the gospel seed. We're cultivating the wrong fields. We're handing out food to people that aren't hungry. We're handing out medicine to people that don't think they're sick. 
Jesus calls us to enter into the hard places for the sake of the gospel and to be led with our hearts, to be led with our hearts. Those that sow in tears will reap with joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed, will return rejoicing, bringing in the harvest. So there, there's this prerequisite to planting. Weeping is the prerequisite to planting. And planting is the prerequisite to reaping. So as I want you to think about the field that you've been called to cultivate, which is your community. I want you to think about your community that you've been called to cultivate. And who are the least of these in those communities? When I think about the city that we've been called to serve, and we moved here from another country. So in some ways, it's easier for us to have this missionary mindset, but it truly is the mindset that every Christian should have, that every Christian is a missionary, that every Christian should live sent, that God in his providence placed you where you're at for his purposes. In your family, as dysfunctional as it might be, in your community, in your career. So I think of our city and I think of the different parts of our city. And there's, there's so much, there's so much heartache. There's so much pain. And rather than be repelled by the pain, Christians are attracted to it because Jesus is attracted to it. In the same way that a good doctor moves toward the wound, he doesn't run away from the wound. A good doctor moves towards the sickness. Good Christians move towards the heartache. They, we gravitate towards the suffering. I think we need to take a hard look at the field that we're attempting to cultivate. And could it be that we're not reaping because we're sowing in the wrong places? Jesus calls us to enter into the hard places for the sake of the gospel. The hard places in our families, the, the places that make us uncomfortable, Right, the places uh, that are the needy places. You know what I mean? The kind of places that require extra energy. The, the kind of places that we would naturally avoid, but we're supernaturally drawn towards. To place ourselves in harm's way for the sake of the gospel. To allow ourselves to be taken advantage of for the sake of the gospel. To embrace humiliation for the sake of the gospel. To put our reputations at risk for the sake of the gospel. To get filthy for the sake of the gospel. To sacrifice our standard of living for the sake of the gospel. To be radically vulnerable for the sake of the gospel. It's my conviction that the call of every Christian 
is to be radically vulnerable. Regardless of our personality, regardless of our gifting, we should have the same heart. It's not just the mind of Christ, it's the heart of Christ. The old adage is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The greatest enemy of Christianity are cold-hearted Christians. We need to ask God to renew our hearts and to resurrect our affections and to give us this supernatural sympathy for the people that he has placed in our path. We need to pray for an eruption of the spirit that blows the drawbridge of our hearts off the hinges. A river of living water that uproots the bitterness and washes away the cynicism so that those around us, here it is, and this is John chapter 17 too, that the world might know, that the world might know that there is a God who cares. Back in John chapter 11, Jesus had this incredibly powerful emotional response, right? He didn't, he didn't cry. He wept. It's a very strong word in the language of the New Testament. Where people, he, his emotion was so obvious that people stopped and looked and said, see how he loved him. That's what I pray for myself. That's what I pray for you. Is that those around us would see our supernatural sympathy and say, look at their love. Look at their love. The Bible says, if we speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, we are nothing. So if we deliver the most polished and powerful and inspirational sermons, but have not love, we are nothing. If we speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, we are nothing. If, if we have faith that moves mountains, but have not love, we are nothing, nothing. To let Jesus fill our lives and look through our eyes. Are to have the countenance of Christ before he ever spoke a word, the people already received a message in how he saw them. They were so used to people judging them, to people ignoring them, to people criticizing them, that when Jesus showed up and it was the way he looked at them, that got their attention. It was a look of love, of unconditional love. May Jesus rise up in our lives in such a way that there is a supernatural manifestation of affection so that those around us will be captivated by our compassion. Here is a New Year's resolution for our church to offer up the kind of worship that is always, always pleasing to God. This is a biblical guarantee. In Psalm chapter 51, verses 16 and 17, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. 
The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. And so to allow our hearts to be broken so that we can authentically engage with the heartache around us. And we share with others, not a theoretical hope, not a theological hope, but we share with others what we are experiencing ourselves, the living hope of the gospel, the comfort that comes from the spirit to allow our hearts to be broken by the brokenness around us, to not be ashamed of our tears, but to pray for more, to ask God to give us the blessing of tears, the gift of tears. As I thought about this, I was convicted. I'll be honest with you. I've cried more this year than all of my adult life combined. And there's a part of me that is embarrassed by my tears. There's a part of me that is ashamed by my tears. There's a part of me that sees sorrow as weakness. And so we tell people to be strong, to be strong. And what we're really saying is hide your sorrow. What we're really saying to people is don't express what you're really feeling. What we're really saying to people is just pretend. Just pretend that everything's okay. And I was convicted that I don't think my kids have ever seen me cry. And I'm not offering this as evidence of my strength. On the contrary, it's evidence of my insecurity. I want my kids to see their dad cry. I want my church to see their pastor cry. That my tears could be a more powerful sermon than my words. To weep with those that weep. To drive through our city and to cry. And so my New Year's resolution is to cry more. <laughs> and to not hide it. That God would give me the gift of tears. And those tears would soften the soil of the hard hearts around us so that it will be receptive to the seed of the word. I don't think we need more preaching. I think we need more weeping. And tears are, the, are a prerequisite to joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with joy. The one who goes out weeping will come back rejoicing. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we're moving 
towards joy. It's only, we can only truly appreciate the dawn when we have experienced the darkest nights. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so in this coming year, as we see each other on this screen, and Lord willing, as we gather in person, that we would see more bloodshot eyes. And we would know without speaking that we have been crying. Or we see each other and we just know, right, that we're connected on that level. And it starts here, right? It starts here with the people that right now are connected to this church. It is disingenuous for us to step across the street if we're not feeling the pain of our brothers and sisters in Christ to cry together so that we might rejoice together, to boast in our bloodshot eyes so that those around us will know that they matter to God because they matter to us. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.